Hello, this is Kat. This is Phoebe. We're Feminine Chaos. And you know what? What? Um, so if you knew that baby Hitler were hiding out in someone's luggage, you know, well-ventilated luggage, okay, so no harm done to baby Hitler, would you steal it? <laughs> and if so, what would baby Hitler be wearing and would you then wear it? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, yes, of course. Of course I would steal the luggage containing baby Hitler. Um very can i ask where where is baby hitler come is luggage on a carousel did baby hitler travel in the it's completely a, it's like a paddington story it's like paddington just found at paddington station dropped for, there from peru for some reason that doesn't entirely make sense with the marmalade except instead of it being a lovable bear with marmalade it's baby hitler with surprisingly a lot of tanzanian <laughs> designer dresses <laughs> Okay, so the reason for this intro, should we should we say it? Oh, it just came straight out of your head, right? It did. Just- I was just like, it's complete word salad from a strange dream. Um, no, so Sam Brinton, who uses they, them pronouns, and who was, but no longer is, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Dis- Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy, okay, uh, got in trouble for stealing luggage women's luggage and putting on these women's clothes fine now one of these women suddenly surfaced apparently on twitter to say that it's her stuff that that they'd been wearing and had the receipts in the form of like pictures of these very distinctive red print dresses and basically She's a Tanzanian fashion designer, and we will put the tweet, and which leads to the rather exciting thread um, in the show notes, but I'm opening it now so I can tell you about it. Okay, it says, my name is Asyak Hamsin, and she identifies herself as a Tanzanian fashion designer based in Houston, Texas, USA. And she writes, I lost my bag 2018 and anyway, in the airport, and she recently learned about this on Fox News, and there's these pictures of first of one of her in, you know, what is apparently Tanzanian fashion. I'll believe it. I had no pre-existing knowledge of Tanzanian fashion. Did you, Kat? Did you have a lot of knowledge of you know, not as such. And we should add that this is like a very bespoke dress. You know, this is the cu- this is a custom outfit. Oh, yeah. Um, that is certainly one of a kind, not the kind of thing that you could coincidentally, you know, Sam Brinton wasn't just like at a Forever 21 <laughs> happened upon the same outfit. Right. So it's like there, this dress has a bunch of different qualities. So it's very like chiffon-ish or silk, or I don't even know what the material, nice looking, delicate looking material. It's not just that it's like, an African looking dress, right? It's like more specific. It's like very, very specific. And um, so the fashion designer in the picture is wearing also like a hat that goes with it. Um, Sam Brinton is wearing a large necklace and matching red lipstick, but no hat. And it's clearly the same dress. I mean, and also clearly a fashion faux pas to put on the dress, but not the hat. Maybe the hat wasn't in the suitcase. Oh my goodness. But so I have just like so many thoughts on this and I, and none of them really have to do with the trans angle, although there is a trans angle here, obviously of the whole, like, you know, does this veer into the 
so-called transracial debate or is it just theft in the very literal sense um katie herzog (laughs) had good tweets on this i believe she is the reason i know about this story so um a tip of my red chiffon tanzanian hat to blocked and reported katie herzog friend of our pod as well um but yeah like i guess i just i want to know more than anything like how this happened like did sam brinton see this woman and think that is a gorgeous dress i want that dress and steal that luggage or was this just like a happy coincidence and the luggage might have might have contained a bunch of extremely boring you know sort of androgynous clothing but happened to have beautiful tanzanian clothes right hell of a coincidence i mean if you are a serial luggage stealer and also a bit of a fashionista <laughs> and you just happen in your serial luggage stealing to get your hands on the one bag on the carousel that contains the custom <laughs> fabulous tanzanian high fashion outfits i mean that's an incredible here's the thing though like I've just started thinking about assuming that it's not a coincidence, what then was the case? Like, what was the scenario? And it involves him, you know, identifying her and identifying which of the luggage was hers and doing something a little bit creepy. I mean, a lot creepy, honestly. Like, did he stalk this woman to a location where he could steal her luggage? As soon as you open the door to this being not an accident, it becomes really pretty sinister. So that's not great. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking who's, well, my first thought, which I am going to boringly repeat what I tweeted was like, if somebody stole my luggage, how extremely bored they'd be with the findings, because it would be like, not very chiffon and interesting. But then I'm also thinking like, so Kat, whose luggage, if you could run off in a non creepy way with the luggage of anybody at the airport, and then have, have the ability to wear it yourself? Whose luggage in who in the world would you whose luggage would you take? Well, it's I get to I get to wear the outfit. You have to wear the outfit. Me. Does my body magically transform to accommodate whatever outfit I've stolen? Because if this is the case, Emily Radichkowski. I want <laughs> <Okay>. her luggage. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like Jane Birkin, you know, maybe not current Jane Birkin, but Jane Birkin, heyday Jane Birkin, whatever this was. But if like you could steal baby Hitler's luggage and wear and wear all of his fabulous clothes. Now we've come full circle. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I'm thinking like what's different with these dresses is that clearly they are not very um form fitted, right? Like they would accommodate different figures. The Right. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of clothing that is very nice um and covetable wouldn't. And if I tried to get into Jane Birkin's jeans, you know, Maybe her Birkin bag I could carry, the, you know, Hermes bag named after her. I was going to say, I don't think you could fit inside the Birkin bag, no (laughs) No, matter how small you are. (laughs) But I don't think I could fit into her jeans either. Like, I just had some trouble in my own today that that I hadn't worn for a few years and put on because I needed to wear snow pants over them. So I put on more narrow jeans, which I don't normally these days. And it's like, oh, right, that's why. Um, But yeah, so I think Jane Birkin would be tricky. But I'm just trying to think who else, like who would be a person whose clothing is just so fabulous? I guess Judy Dench in um, certain, like in different sitcoms dresses actually really well. And I feel like there the clothes would be a little more forgiving. Like it wouldn't require having a 24 inch waist that I do not have. 
Hmm. Yeah. I'll actually, you know, if we're um, if we're now going into fictional characters, then I will absolutely go with Villanelle from Killing Eve. I still haven't seen Killing Eve, and I have to because it has Steve Pemberton in it. And to be a completist, um, who's Steve Pemberton? He's this British friend. actor who I think is very attractive, and apparently a few very eccentric British ladies do as well. But like, you're not going to. There. Okay. Let's see. That's okay. Steve Pemberton actor, because there are different Steve Pembertons. Here's a picture of him in a dress. Oh, um, good. That's a relief. In the League of Gentlemen. Yes. Yes. Right. Where he's playing the um, job center. That's actually extremely funny. I wonder whose luggage had to be stolen for them to make that. So that's the thing. Sorry, just to bring it back to the like clothing theft. It is possible for a man slash a male presenting non-binary individual to just purchase women's clothing in fact there's even the internet you can just buy clothes online so if somebody doesn't want to be the man in the women's clothing store you know for whatever reason because i don't think anybody cares who's buying what there's the internet like you do not actually have to steal luggage to wear opposite gender clothes that's right so because like the I, I feel like there maybe would be this notion that that this is somehow like gender self-expression but it's not you just it's just stealing stuff and the gender is the red hair. It's a red dress and a red herring. Well, if you identify not only as a woman, but also as a criminal, then <laughs> it's very important that you steal your women's clothing. Anywho, um, I, I have found Steve Pemberton's wiki page on the Killing Eve wiki and okay. I now recognize him. Um, he, he does not play a very appealing character in this. So He never does. He's never appealing but that's the appeal. I don't know. But that's a whole, you know what? We all have our proclivities. For some, it is stealing Tanzanian women's, you know, high design luggage. For others, it is objectively ordinary looking, but subjectively nice looking British actors. Um, yeah, the latter, by the way, just to just gonna put this out there, is weirder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's why so many tweets go extremely viral about about unusual celebrity crushes as versus um this I'm sorry, but this luggage story is amazing. I just really really hope that it's like investigated and like I don't mean like a culture wars thing about how dare, you know, a man in a dress. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean somebody needs to actually like look into whether it comes from a criminal situation or really just like a journalistic one somebody needs to figure out exactly what happened with this luggage because it is too interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like there are elements of this story that are really just so ripe for dramatization. There is even like, I don't know, it feels a little bit Silence of the Lambsy, except fun because he's not trying to take women's skins. He's just trying to take their clothes. So this is like a plot line everybody can enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I don't like, I'm not even sure it is all that creepy because it if there's no interest, I mean, it's it's theft and it's bad insofar it's, as it's theft, but I don't know that it's like, I don't get the sense that Sam Brinton like wanted anything to do with this woman at all. I think it was much more just like a complicated heist of some sort. I don't know. This is just our, our little intro topic, but it is a, oh, it's too, <laughs> we, we've like, we're too interested in it, I think. It's too... Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, a... I would assume you are also wearing, in honor of this episode, your red bespoke Tanzanian dress. Yes. No, I don't have one. I haven't stolen one yet. Um, <laughs> so instead, what I'm wearing is 
athletic wear that I taught yoga in this morning under a voluminous throw blanket from <laughs> Ikea because it's cold in my house. So I'm just kind of bedraped. You're bedraped. Bespoke yes. or bedraped. Those are the two options when it's, uh, certainly when it's cold. Um, yeah, too way too cold for it here in, in Canada where I'm sitting. You still have your snow pants on, I assume. Uh, <laughs> thought I heard be, a little rustling. <laughs> that would be a, a sweaty way to be inside, but it, but I could say it is a little chilly in here. I could see it. Stolen snow pants, definitely bespoke snow <laughs> pants. So quickly before we get to our main topics here, uh, we're Feminine Chaos. We're a podcast. You can support us on Substack at femchaospod.substack.com. For $5 a month, you'll get access to our unlimited back catalog of episodes, plus two episodes per month per for premium subscribers only, and also access to open threads, comment threads, a whole community of feminine chaos lovers, et cetera, et cetera. Again, femchaospod.substack.com. Please join us there. Phoebe, take us away. Uh, so yeah, do you think, Kat, we're going to just jump into our first topic of the day. Do you think, as I do, so we can have a little debate perhaps, that any book that's even a little bit problematic should go into a big bonfire and we're just done with the problematic books, leaving only what? What would be the non-problematic books? Well, here's the thing. I don't think they should be thrown into a fire. I think all the problematic books should be studiously rewritten by the mm. most sensitive people in the world and then redispensed into society. But, uh, but crucially, with the names of the original authors still on them. So it's really as though nothing has changed. <laughs> that definitely you know what you you've convinced me um so cat you went on fox and you i did i was on tv you were on the telly as they it was say, horrible as, as <laughs> <laughs> it was not horrible you were great i mean oh, i don't man. know how it was to experience it i'm i've been on not that television i've been on the calmer waters of canadian television but you what, have yeah, when, once. When? When did I miss Ages. this? Because it was in like 2017 or something. That's why. Oh, for we my weren't book. friends yet then. We didn't. Yeah, yeah. We were just off in our own our own worlds back then. But yeah. But so why was it horrible? Because I thought it was wonderful. I mean, it was. An, I, I don't think that the um, the appearance itself was bad. So this is actually a very vain thing to say, and I, I want to recognize it as such privilege acknowledgement or whatever. But um, I hate the way that I look on television i have a wonky tooth they always manage to seem to film from the side where it is and that like where you can really see it and i fixate on my dumb tooth and i can never even pay attention to anything else like when i watch back so i don't usually watch myself i did not see any strange tooth thing nobody ever all. notices it but i see it <laughs> anyway and now i've now i've announced it so now everyone is going to notice it but um you know, I so I don't love the way that I look on television, and uh, I always wish that I had um, done something differently with my hair or my tooth or you know my eyelashes or whatever. Covered your tooth with your hair. Yes, you know, maybe I'll try that next time. I'll kind of drape it like a Poirot mustache across the front <laughs> of my face. Yeah, I, mean, I think that would make sense. I I would assume that that's really the aesthetic they're going for on Fox. A lot of their female presenters 
have the blonde hair and then a little Poirot mustache. I was actually the presenter. Um, I was interviewed on Fox and Friends by all three anchors and the usual presenter, the female presenter on that show is blonde, but she wasn't there this week. And so instead, Lisa Moore, I think her name is, um, she was there and she's a brunette. And I, I really, I don't know. I felt kind of bamboozled. I was expecting to be the only brunette. But I was there to talk about the recent controversy surrounding Roald Dahl and the bowdlerization of his books. And uh, things, admittedly, towards the end of this segment, it was three minutes, and in the last 15 seconds, somebody suddenly started talking about pornography in school libraries, which (laughs) was not, I want to just make it clear, like, that was not scripted. That was not what we were there to discuss. I don't know what happened. Um, And so I had to, I had to be like, I'm not talking about that. You were great. You were great. And I thought you you. deflected it very, very um, deftly. That is the word. I'm glad I thought of the word deft and now and not like 20 minutes later, like I normally would. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think I know why that came up, which is that I think for people who are not as we are, you know, in in a kind of more culturally libertarian bent, but for people who are more sort of conservative and also for people who are more progressive, you get the thing where they are so against censorship, except when they're not, right? Right, right. And I think you run into that on both sides, right? So you have the people who are like, it's totally good to, you know, make sure that you don't have any bad, you know, slurs and anything that children read, you know, they should only read woke baby or whatever. But there are the people who are against censorship because they think that, you know, LGBT, BIPOC, so forth stories should be, you know, like the main things children read or whatever, and certainly should not be banned from school libraries. And they have a point about, you know, the banning of, I guess, mainly like gender um, non-conforming literature from schools. And I think what we'll get into in this episode, like your very strong arguments about like what's different about, you know, not having a book in a school library versus changing the book itself. I think that's all really interesting and important, but just to say for now, so there's that right on the left, but then on the right, you know, there's this like pro free speech, you know, don't erase history, blah, blah, blah. But then there's also like, but you don't want children reading about like, um, so then, yeah, when I wrote about this for the Canadian Jewish news, um, I wrote about like a book called, um, and this is actually a book that we actually once got out of the library sort of for like more for my research purposes than anything else was the hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. It's like a take on the wheels on the bus go round and round. That doesn't even work as a song. It's like, it's too many consonants. <laughs> it doesn't work on so many levels. And it's just like <laughs> one of the drag queens I remember has like a beard and they're on very high heels, which seems also like on the one hand, I guess that's true of drag queens on the other, like is our high heels of like that high heels of tremendous interest to babies. I don't really know. Um, but it just, yeah, it wasn't a great book and it wasn't, I wouldn't want it banned. I just wouldn't buy it because <laughs> it was kind of stupid. But yeah, but the point is that like, I think the idea of the pornography, I think you get this kind of these days, this kind of like defining, like too broadly defining of like what's a sexual material for children and saying that like anything in which somebody's like, like was this drag queen's book sexual? It was just cringe. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's interesting. Like I'm, 
I'm somewhat familiar, actually, I'm quite familiar with a lot of the book banning controversy happening in the US right now, because I was at one point reporting a piece on it that ended up getting killed. Um, Hopefully, maybe one day I'll find a home for it, because I think it's a very interesting topic. But I was reporting this piece about um, changes in children's literature and the influx of sort of social justice themes, gender ideology and such into books for kids. And the thing that is interesting is that a lot of the objections coming from the right really stem, like you can trace them back to this one particular book, which is actually not a kid's book. It's called Gender Queer uh, by Maya Kobe. Kobab or Kobabe. Um, It's a graphic novel. It's a memoir. It's for adults. But this book was given an Alex Award, which is an award granted to literature for adults that is deemed to have like special interest for people from the ages of like 12 to 18. So once a a book is given this award, um, and I believe it's an LGBTQ based award, that book will end up making its way, you know, under the auspices of, oh, this is, you know, for adults, but it's interesting to children. It'll make its way into school libraries. The problem with this book is that, like, it's a graphic novel, which is to say it's illustrated, and it's about a they, (laughs) sorry, I was about to say a woman, but, you know, Kababi doesn't identify as a woman, a, a they person's sexual awakening. And it includes frankly, extremely graphic illustrations of Kobabe with a strap-on penis, like wearing it and having her strap-on penis being sucked by her significant other. Sorry, I keep saying her. Um, I'm, you know, whatever. I'm on the record. I'm not good at pronouns. Anyway, so like this is a, a panel, like every time this conversation comes up, somebody from the right will post these panels. I have seen this image of the <laughs> illustrated strap-on dildo blowjob so many times. Like it's Would it be wrong if I were to interject and ask what the point of that sexual act would be? The idea is that uh, the author is uncomfortable um, with their body and is sort of um, looking for ways to embody a different kind of physique. And so this is like a fantasy. I mean, how is this that different from if somebody's standing near you having a, a popsicle or a lollipop or whatever? Like, it's not your body. Like, I don't know. Sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm judging. I'm yucking. I'm yucking this protagonist's yum. Try doing both of these things in a public place and see if it's any different. I was That was certainly my plan for later today in the blizzard here in Toronto. Um, yeah. So then I really want you to write this article for real and for it to be published because it sounds really good. So anyway, just to like, just to wrap up, like this, this book has become so central to all of these objections. They're like, they're putting pornography in school libraries. Okay. And then they hold out this book with what is like legitimately, if you look at this, it looks, it looks like freaking porn. It does. And what's really kind of crazy to me, and I I would love to someday write about this too specifically, is that this book, for whatever reason, is the hill that the left has decided to die on instead of just like nobody will ever say, nobody wants to admit that like this is a little bit of a weird thing to show to a 12-year-old or for a 12-year-old to be able to check out of a library at their school. Nobody wants to talk about that for whatever reason. But anyway, that's why, like, I mean, just one reason why this entire conversation has become so incredibly fraught and just, like, tortured and, you know, it's never going to get anywhere because we're all dying on the hill of this one stupid book that's not even very good. 
Well, I just wonder though how much how much you can here I'm going to be woke baby. How much you can blame the left for dying on the hill of this one book when you do also have the right saying that like drag queen story hour is all about sex and finding again like there will be some clip somewhere of like of some like twerking thong wearing drag queen at a story hour somewhere. Maybe this has happened like once and then that'll just be the thing. In general though, like this is obviously not a sex thing and yet it gets interpreted as a sex thing and I think there is a kind of pattern on the right of calling things and this is not new but like like if a man and a woman have a chaste kiss that's not a sex thing if two men or two women do it's suddenly a sex thing right you know where it's like shoving it's like like the whole old school like don't rub it in our faces sort of approach lives on on the right except it has gotten to be more about trans stuff than gay stuff. But I think that there's also that going on that's also an element, and I don't know how much it matters. Like, I I think these things are just kind of happening, like, one side sort of eggs on the other, and it gets worse on both sides, but I don't know how much it matters if the left is, like, dying on that hill. I don't know. I mean, I think it matters somewhat, because here's here's what is happening. The right is like, don't rub it in our faces. And then the left is like, we're literally going to rub it in your face and in your children's face, you know, like yeah. and it being the um, the banana hammock that the drag queen is wearing that's stuffed full of dollar bills. I think that the unwillingness of, I don't know, like on either side, you've got one side being like nothing remotely adjacent to anything gay could possibly be appropriate for children. And then they're banning like the book about the penguin with two dads, which is an adorable, sweet book. And it absolutely belongs in a library. On the other side, you have the left being like, everything should go like there should never be any restrictions and like here like i'm giving your 12 year old a book depicting visually somebody getting a blowjob like yeah no i think you're right i think you're right and i think what's frustrating here is that then if you have a position like yours or mine where it's like a more sort of general like pro free speech not necessarily pro show the children the you know whatever the dildo blowjob or whatever this is but you know pro sort of a pro free speech you always get assumed to be in one or the other team and like well you're against that censorship what about this other censorship it's like what if you're just against both and yeah that mm-hmm, exists too mm-hmm. but yeah so roll doll definitely this whole thing of like the changing so the part that people were talking about a lot was a character being described as fat in the original and that this changing. But what I'm really struck by is the idea that like saying mothers and fathers was so problematic that that would need to be changed to parents. Because to me, that seems like, I don't even know how to put this, but that just seems like, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. That just seems like it, it you know what it reminds me of? That tweet, isn't it like a bird? It's a meme. It's like, I am I'm upset if it's if if it's not about me or something. I am uncomfortable when we are not about me. Thank you. Thank you. It just reminds (laughs) me of that. Because no, not all children have a mother and a father, but like some do, and like someone in a book might. Like it just seems it seems like a parody of inclusiveness, you know? Mm -hmm, Whereas the fat mm -hmm. thing, I, I mean I'm I agree with you about like I don't think that anybody should be going into an old book and like changing the words but but that just specifically just like what <laughs> like it just it seemed like a joke yeah i mean a lot of this stuff seems like a joke and i think the thing is that 
the person who was doing these edits clearly was coming at it from a place of, you know, we're going to change the language so that we change how people think so that we change the world. Um, you know, this was not being done from a place of we're improving the book, like on a literary level. I think it's very interesting, actually, that in the midst of this conversation about Roald Dahl, and um, we'll put, leave a link in the show notes to some of the uh, examples of changes that have been made to these books. Absolutely nobody is willing to defend what they've done to to the books like on the merits. Nobody wants to say that that this made the book a better work of literature. It's all about this like altruistic or like ethical argument that, you know, oh, well, we can't, we just can't allow this to be out there in its present form because it does some kind of moral harm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I mean, yeah. So we, we also discussed this on um, the Bonjour High uh, Canadian Jewish News podcast, which is not yet out. We talked about Roald Dahl and actually, yeah, and had a Jewish Canadian children's book author on um, to talk about this because like it is just, it's, um, it's tricky and it's not, I guess. Like there's, should every child in all contexts be handed all reading materials at all ages? No, I mean, I don't think anybody's saying that, but but there's something about changing the language of a book from another era that just, I mean, to me, what it keeps coming back to um, is really like this idea of presentism and this idea that we now know what's correct and that they back then did not. And I just think that that's not accurate and it doesn't make sense. And, oh, anyway. So I got a great email. I got a great email from somebody um, who had seen me either on Fox News or, or saw me talking about this on Twitter and pointed out that they had done something very similar to this to the Nancy Drew books, which were originally written in, I guess, the 30s, and then they were redone in the 60s. And one of the things that they did in the 60s was they made Nancy Drew much more of a kind of obsequious, like ladylike, proper person she pointed to this one line where in the original book, Nancy gives chase in her car to somebody who is fleeing and she like speeds after them going as fast as she can. In the 1960s edition, they changed this so that she drove as fast as the speed limit would allow. Oh my goodness. No. What's really funny is now we've come full circle. It's about a hundred years after the original Nancy Drew and about 60 years after the Badlerization of it to make it more like palatable to audiences, to quote unquote modern audiences. Only what we would love to read now is much more in line with the 1930s version when she was a kind of a wild girl. Um, and so there is this sense of of not really being able to predict exactly what is and isn't going to age well, and you know what you lose when you do something like this. But the other thing. And this was a point that you made in your piece about the Roald Dahl bowlerization, which I thought was really excellent, is that this gives credit to Dahl for being more sensitive of a person than he was. And it's not just that this takes a lot of the kind of the magic and the color out of his language, which I think is a loss of its own, but also that it reimagines him as like, a nice, a nice man who was worried about not offending people, which is not what Roald Dahl well, was. Well, that's what I always wonder about this with the sort of sensitivity approach to, you know, yeah, to the past, like that sort of making the past palatable in that way. It just seems like 
on the one hand, yeah, it's unfair to an author to, you know, mess with their work, certainly once they're dead, and it's, you know, unfair to their legacy. But it's also, yeah, it's like turning them, it's changing history, right? It's, I guess I just, I do think that even outside of the context of like an academic seminar in like a history department, people need to learn history. And that includes children learning it through old books. And I don't think that to say that everything needs, yeah. And like what you say, I mean, I think that's a, a really great point about that like things got you know less progressive in the 60s you know progress isn't linear it's you know there's no reason to think that what somebody today would find acceptable is like the objective (laughs) truth and it doesn't make any sense if you just step back and think about it for a second but then you get this kind of case for like only exposing young people like especially younger like pretty young children to books from like when 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 did things stop being problematic what year are we considering you know and it becomes ridiculous you know yeah i mean the other thing too is the, the erasure of it um the erasure of the language it really strikes me as kind of a form of fraud it's not just defacement and i think it is that too but that you're stripping out anything that could be deemed problematic in Roald Dahl's books, and then you're keeping his name on them and and handing them off to kids as though this is it. This is your Roald Dahl book. This is this is what he wrote. It's a little bit to me like um, if you put uh, underwear on like Michelangelo's David, and then you <laughs> told people that it always looked like that. Oh yes, you know when Michelangelo made the David, he uh, of course obscured the penis because as we all know, uh, nobody wants to see a penis and nobody ever has. And yeah, yeah. Or maybe there even aren't any. It's just always covered naturally by, you know, underpants. But yeah, I mean, I think there's just like, to me, it seems like it's blurring the line between what is like a work of art and what is Cliff's Notes study aid, you know, abridged version for toddlers. You know what I mean? Like, it seems, uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's become it. It's trying to be both things at once. And I don't think something can be both things at once. You know, I think either it's the book or it isn't. And I feel like, yeah, all of this discussion of, well, what if it were really offensive? No, even if something were really offensive, like these are documents of how people thought at a particular time or how one person thought at a particular time. And that's the other thing that I find extremely frustrating about this topic is when people say, well, you know, in other times people thought differently. No, like in other times people thought all different ways. There was no one way people thought prior to, you know, the 2020 <laughs> you know, protests, like people thought all different ways. And like, yeah, I think it, it does matter that Roald Dahl um, was an anti-Semite for his time, called himself an anti-Semite in 1990, which I think is really like a really fascinating detail here because it's not like ambiguous. But, and then, okay, so here's the thing. Are any of the changes to do with Jews or is it all just about like these sort of like parody of political correctness Things. No, it's it's like all gen, you know, degendering the language. There's um, there's some stuff that happened in the witches. Oh God, there. I'm sorry. I I have been really fired up about this, partly because these books were just so important to me growing up. Like I read them so many times, and it's it's just a tragedy to see what they're doing. It reminds me of that thing um, where you know the the lady in I guess it was Italy or wherever, um, you know, said that she was going to restore a picture of Jesus, a painting of Jesus, and she turned it into this. Right. <laughs> yes, it's like that. It is. What's it called? Ecce, Ecce Homo or something like that? I don't know. It's, I know what you mean now. Yeah. 
it's uh it's a meme it's a meme now um but yeah you know there's this point where in the original which is um the the little boy the little boy who's the main character is learning from his grandmother uh the various traits of witches that they they wear gloves because they have claws for hands and they wear um well actually they don't wear sensible shoes because they have to pretend that they don't have misshapen feet with no toes their their feet and they're just like a square um which is hilarious to think about i'm sorry it still is but um in this book so the witches are also bald and the little boy suggests that you know he could figure out who's a witch by like if he sees a lady wearing gloves if he just like snatches her hair off her head and, and it you know he pulls her wig off then he'll know she's a witch and the grandmother says something like you can't go snatching the hair off of every lady you see, um, even if she is wearing gloves, you just try it and see what happens. And in the new version, the grandmother says, besides, there are many other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. It's so simpering. Yeah. Just like, you know, after school special, which is so not what Roald Dahl was about. And I mean, people will inevitably be like, well, it's just one line. I'm sorry. Like, that was a great line and they ruined it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, ugh, it, it's awful. And it just, to me, it just, it, it's the narcissism that gets to me in the end. It really is this idea that like, well, we know better than a writer. We know better than other times, you know? And it's like, who, who is this we who knows better? You know, like there needs to be like some humility towards art and towards other times that just seems to be absent i mean also like every single person who's doing this grew up reading the original versions of these books like do we all think that we turned out badly for it nobody seems to think that they did yeah yeah i don't even know um oh it's just so what i was thinking about and like was i what i may have asked also on the other podcast i was doing about this which is like what is an unproblematic book because I feel like there's a lot of discussion of problematic books. What do you do about problematic books? And I am still wondering, what is the unproblematic book? Does that exist? Well, honestly, no. There's no limiting principle here. I was about to say, you know, you could do like the fun with Dick and Jane books where it's like, see Jane run, see Spot bark. But, um, you, you know. You want to talk about Dick with children? I <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I um, sure do. <laughs> <laughs> the dick on the Jane goes swish, swish, swish. <laughs> you would have to do that. You mm -hmm. certainly would have to do that. Um, yeah, I guess I would just say that because everything could be problematic to somebody because of these issues of representation. So anything that's by somebody who somebody feels is overrepresented or whatever, you know, there's always some reason why everything is problematic to somebody. I don't think it works to say like, these are problematic books. These aren't like, I think you don't like, you don't have to go down some kind of slippery slope thing of like, well, why aren't you, you know, giving, why isn't there just a board book of Mein Kampf or whatever? Like, I don't think there's any need to do that. I think there's just like this huge, 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 I don't even want to say middle ground. I would say that it encompasses basically everything other than something overtly hateful. It's just like, life art I don't know it's just the complexity of human experience whatever and like how are children supposed to learn and this idea that they could only learn if it's filtered through a parent or a school I don't I think that's one way children learn I don't think it's the only one and I think 
you know, reading is one way you learn about the world and you don't want to cut that off. And sorry, can we praise me for having not made a joke once I said you don't want to cut that off? <laughs> Congratulations you. on you. your immense self-restraint. Thank you. But maybe you do want to cut that off. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, one of the things that I was interested to see in the conversation surrounding the the doll uh, the doll bodlerization. Anyway, I can't I can't talk anymore. Um, people kept saying, "Oh, well, you know, like I have to do so much." editing when I read aloud to my children, like I have to make sure that I, you know, that I make sure that books are, have gender parity or whatever. Like, so they'll they'll change, um, they'll change male characters to female ones, or they'll like omit words or whatever. And I do think that there's something about this that actually speaks to how much this is really about adults being uncomfortable about stuff that kids don't even notice. Um, or if they noticed it, they either wouldn't care or it wouldn't have the kind of impact that like people seem to fear it would. This idea that you have to like be so careful, like when you're reading like books to your kids that you have to make sure that like, you know, there aren't too many boys in one book or that you don't use like a bad word in another and like, or otherwise you have to stop and you have to talk about it to make sure the kid understands like that everything has to be a teachable moment. I think this is such a mistake. Um, I think that kids, you know, really like they can be trusted to just read books or have books read to them. And not everything has to be like a lesson in how the world ought to be or for that matter and how the world used to be. Like it doesn't always have to be a teachable moment. You can just read a book to your kid and not worry about whether you're doing enough in that moment to further this or that cause um, or to, you know, inculcate the proper ideas into your child about how the world is supposed to be. And this obsession with it, it seems to center so, so much on children's books. Um, I really think that it just ends up becoming so much more about what parents are uncomfortable with. Like they've gotten just too fixated on the idea that like they can never let their guard down. They have to be super, you know, woke for lack of a better word at all times or the sky's going to fall. Yeah. I mean, it depends, I think, a little bit on the age of the child. And I could so I would push back a little on this and say that like it depends like if you're talking about a child who could possibly be reading on their own. And as versus like a really small child being read to. And this comes up in a book that um, we have that's a Maurice Sendak book, um, Alligators All Around. It's an alphabet book. And the item for I, the letter I, is imitating Indians. Now, I feel like that's, I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. You know, I don't do the thing of like switching the genders because I, I know other parents do this I don't um but there it's like yeah it's but but then what I still come back to is that it's for the parent to decide this if they want to do that while reading to you know like a small child and I don't really think that there's any reason for a publisher to do this because different people will notice different things and if a parent wants to customize while reading aloud that's just um that that's so subjective, you know what I mean, like whether or not they want to, and I, I don't think it works to have a publisher sort of do that, yeah, I mean, you want the publisher to just publish the book that that exists that the author wrote, uh you know, I think that parents i don't know i mean 
to me, it just seems like a lot of extra effort to try to filter the ideas in real time. It's like if you don't want to, if you don't want your child to be exposed to those ideas, then just read them a different book. Although, of course, you know, you're only going to have that kind of control for so long. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I would say is like, I don't think that anybody needs to be le- losing sleep over the censorship that is like skipping a word or a page and something read aloud to a very small child who then the book will still be in the house. They can look at it when they're older. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that that's like, to me, it it seems I would be much more concerned about like somebody going in and changing the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can understand, you know, maybe wanting to avoid like, especially if you have a kid who tends to repeat everything they hear. Yes, that exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That would be where things get interesting. Like you don't want to, and they do, like they learn language and they just repeat and they don't know what it means. And more to the point, they notice children if something is <laughs> annoys their parents and they don't categorize this according to why, you know what I mean? They're not going to say, oh, well, that's because it's problematic. So that's different. No. If you say, don't say that word, that is the fastest route to that child running around saying whatever that word is. You know, Mm -hmm. so I feel like just from that perspective, yeah, I don't think that that's the same issue as like censoring book. I don't think that you have to to be like pro free speech have to be like everything in all contexts makes sense. I think you can say like if you're speaking to a small child and you, you know, control what you say around them, that doesn't have to not include the contents of books. And I don't know that you have to be such a purist that if you arrive at like one word or line that you think isn't something you want to say aloud to a small child that you have to then not look at that book at all. I think you can like just go over it. You know, I don't know that that's like such a like, Oh, I just thought of another one that's even perhaps better. So Mm. forget about the imitating Indians line in. So the Francis books like bedtime for Francis, um, what their other ones like these Bread and I'm Jam not familiar Francis. with. Okay, so these are these stories about um, this little girl named Frances who's a badger. All the whole family, they're all badgers, but this, they're just like children. Um, well, that's problematic. That to begin with. Badgers are a problematic animal. You can't, would, you just can't. I would have to agree with you there. But in one of them, in Bedtime for Frances, the father tells her that if she doesn't um, go to bed, eventually he tells her she'll get a spanking. And then mm. it's like, do you say spanking? Do you change? Like, I will sometimes just like change the word to like punishment or something, but then it doesn't work because you get later in the book and a moth is going against the window and Francis is thinking about how the sound reminds her of a spanking. And then that just doesn't make sense if you're saying it with something else. However, I think... If you're talking about a small enough child, they're not noticing that. I think once they get old enough to notice that this doesn't all make sense, mm-hmm. you could just talk to them about it. You know what I mean? Like, I think my children are too young for this to be, like, something that they're thinking about on that level. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I think there, there's a way that this conversation becomes sometimes, like, about children in the abstract. And it's unclear if what's being talked about is, like, you know, a six-month-old or, you know, a 16-year-old. And I think, um, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. That makes sense. Uh, well, you know, I'm just going to conclude by saying that I've I've figured out how I, for one, am going to solve the problem of, um, you know, in the event that I end up ever having children, that, of these problematic rolled doll books, which is I'm going to um, show my kids a picture of Sam Brinton, mm-hmm. Binton, 
uh, it, you know, dressed in his fabulous, um, you know, bespoke Tanzanian outfits. And I'm just going to tell my children that that was rolled doll. <laughs> and you? It was, though, because I have rewritten history, okay, in this following the spirit of those edits, I have rewritten history such that they do do just do justice to Sam Brendan that they were in fact rolled all and can take credit not only for the fabulous wardrobe choices of a random Tanzanian fashion designer but also of the works of beloved if controversial children's book author Roald Dahl. Incredible. I love it. <laughs> all right, uh I'm going to go steal some luggage. Go for it. <laughs> this has been feminine chaos. It certainly has. <laughs> Bye. Bye.